Welcome to Away From The Keyboard. We give you a glimpse into the lives, interests, and tech behind today's technologists. Please join our hosts, Cecil Phillip and Richie Rump, as we get away from the keyboard. Welcome to Away From The Keyboard, where technologists tell their stories of how they started, how they grew, how they learned, and how they unwind. My name is Richie Rump, and joining me is my co-host, Cecil Phillip. How are you doing today, Cecil? Pretty good, Richie. What's going on with you? It's been two months. It's been two months since I got my Fitbit. Oh, and how's that been going? It's going pretty darn well. Um, two months, 12 pounds uh, gone, and um, I'm feeling pretty good. Are you in one of those um, Fitbit groups where you could track your progress versus other people's? Yeah, I've got uh, some friends. It's not like a group group, but um, just friends that I know and things like that. But it's kind of disheartening because I have a, a coworker of mine, and she's a pretty avid hiker. And she like is constantly getting 120,000 steps and I'm sitting in here at 50,000 and I'm like, there's no way, <laughs> there's no way I'm ever going to top that. Hey, you got to step your game up, man. Get to it. Yeah. Oh, I mean, you know, being a developer and, and sitting at a desk, you know, for eight to 10 hours a day or even just standing, you're not getting any steps, you know, so I'm, I'm never going to win any weekday challenge or anything like that. But I have been running a lot more and, um, you know, trying to get my legs back and, uh, you know, just trying to eat clean, you know, and, and just trying to be healthy. So feeling a lot better. And um, so far, Fitbit's been working uh, A-OK. Nice, nice. So what about you, man? So this past weekend, I actually decided to to turn on Samsung Pay on my phone. Oh. I've been very apprehensive about this whole mobile pay thing for, for quite a while. You know, I think the phone has just been sending me enough notifications to bug me enough to turn it on. So I eventually did. Oh, so the notifications work. I, I guess they do. Don't tell Samsung that because that means that they'll never stop sending them to me. You just did. I didn't realize that you could put um, gift cards and membership cards on there. So I have my gym membership card is on here, which obviously has absolutely nothing to do with money. You know, I have some rewards cards on here for Winn-Dixie and CVS and stuff like that. Also, too, I've been, you know, obviously have some credit cards on there and I've been going to Publix and, you know, various other stores and it works just fine. No issues. Like I there's almost not a lot to talk about because it just works. <laughs> wow. That's pretty cool, man. Yeah, yeah. It's been pretty interesting. So uh, I'm, I'm thinking about putting on some, some more of my cards on there and, you know, lightening up the, the thickness of my wallet a little bit. Nice. Nice. So, and, and I hear we're, uh, we're giving away some more stuff. We are. We are. We have another a giveaway from our recent guest, Mr. Michael Kennedy. Um, he's been gracious enough to allow us to give away his course, Python Jumpstart. Doing his excellent course, all you have to do is tweet hashtag TalkPython at the Away From The Keyboard podcast on Twitter uh, for your chance to win access to the Python Jumpstart course. So we're going to be doing this for another week. So next week we'll be announcing our lucky winner of this really good course. Yeah, but stay tuned because we have more stuff to give away this summer. More stuff? Yeah, man. This is a summer giveaway, so. It is, and it's not even programming or technical related, so I'm really excited to give away the the next the next free thing. Awesome, man. Let's do it. So who are we talking to today? So today we're talking to Mr. Mike Bluestein. So Mike is an internationally recognized expert on the Xamarin platform and one of the first users of Xamarin.iOS. Mike is the author of a Monotouch course for AppDev and the book Learning Monotouch, a hands-on guide to building iOS applications with C-Sharp and .NET. Before working exclusively as a software engineer, Mike was an aerospace engineer who did aerodynamic designs for jet engines. 
pretty cool, man. That sounds pretty interesting. Yeah. This episode recorded on June 6th, 2016, and now our conversation with Mike Bluestein. And now, away from the keyboards feature conversation. So we have a really special guest on today. And, uh, you know, before we, we get into it too much, Mike, why don't you introduce yourself to our guests and tell them a little bit about yourself? Hi, uh, thanks for having me on. Mike Bluestein, programmer, sometimes a speaker, sometimes a writer from the Northeast here. I live in New England. Used to work at Xamarin, worked there from early on till, till about a year ago. So, Mike, I was, you know, obviously before you got on the show, I did a little browsing, right, and, you know, looking at your blog and your social media and stuff like that. Stalker. Just a tad bit, just a little bit. <laughs> and I saw you, you know, it looks like you're into hockey. Have you played hockey in high school or anything like that? Or Yeah, I, play, I still play hockey uh, or something resembling hockey at this, <laughs> at this point in my life. I don't know. You'd, you'd come, if you've never seen hockey, uh, you'd, you'd walk away with a bad impression, I think, now. But I, I used to be kind of okay. I'm still all right, actually. But, but yeah, I've been playing hockey for uh, on and off for a long, long time. I really like hockey. wish I could have been better at it, but, you know, not everyone can be a, a college or an NHL player or anything, but I still have fun playing it, and my, my son plays too, so it's kind of a good good way to do stuff with him. Nice. So what made you get into that sport? In hockey? Yeah. Well, when I was growing up, um, grew up outside of Boston, when I would date myself a little bit, but it was right after the whole Bobby Orr era. I just missed it. I mean, he was already, his knees were all kind of blown out in the, on the back side of it when I really started watching hockey. It was just kind of that era of when they, the Boston Bruins had all their success and all these rinks started popping up all around Boston because of it. So everybody up in Boston plays hockey in one way or another. And then, you know, I played in club teams and I, I played after an intramurals and I still play in men's leagues. Yeah, that's how I got into it. And then with my friends, when we were kids, we used to even, you know, we'd play, you know, we'd, we lived, it was like in the city. So there weren't ponds or anything like that where I grew up, but the fire department would open up uh, fire hydrants onto vacant lots and they, they'd freeze it up. Nice. Um, so we could, we'd, we'd play into all hours of the night. All, all kinds of sports, actually, but hockey is, I always liked hockey. So so who would be one of your favorite hockey teams in the league right now? Well, the Bruins, just because I'm from Boston. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I actually live in Connecticut now, and um, we used to have the Whalers here, but they're, they uh, they took the Whalers away. <laughs> so, like, still, still the Bruins. I mean, I'm still, it wouldn't have mattered. I'm, I'm still a Bruins fan. Sure. I, I sort of live on the line where it's like half the people are New York Rangers types and half watch the Bruins. But I'll watch any hockey game or anything, really. But, uh, yeah, I like hockey. It's a lot of fun. It's a good sport. It's the best sport. Being a lifelong Bruins fan, I'm assuming you didn't experience their championship in the 70s, right? In the, I guess they had, what, two? No, no, or... I, was, I was a little, I was just a little kid. You know, I, when they won in 70 and they won in 72. Okay, right. Um, yeah, I was a baby. So I, I didn't see that. That's when Bobby Orr was great. Uh, but then they had great teams later in the, the 70s when I started watching hockey. Just the Canadians were a little better. And then they had great teams in the late 80s when I was really into it. Just that Edmonton Oilers were around, right? Um, <laughs> so nobody was gonna, that, that that Gretzky kid. Yeah, no one's going to beat them. And then Calgary had some good teams, and then they finally you know, they put together some good teams here the last few years. Now, now the last couple of years have been rough, but still got good teams. But I mean, you know, they won the one, they were in the other one, and they lost to the Blackhawks. So it's like, you know, 
hey, it's hard to win. I mean, they're, they're an exciting team. When they finally won the championship in 2011, I'd never seen them win a championship. So what was that like? What was that season like? How, 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 did, how did you react to that in, entire uh, championship? That was great because I didn't think they, I didn't think they were going to win. Um, they were almost out. Right? And then they had a mass, major comeback. And they caught a got they, they, they like a lot of teams when they, they got a hot goalie who was a, who was a really good goalie. They maybe beat a couple teams that, you know, they beat Vancouver there. And honestly, Van, Vancouver was probably, at least on paper, Vancouver was a better team than them, I think. But Bruins had a better goalie, and the Bruins checked well. The Bruins back check, and they play a good system. So it was exciting. And then, you know, it was exciting to see them win because you know, I never really – they had the Bork, poor Ray Bork, and not poor, but I mean – had to had to leave Boston to go win a win a cup somewhere else. That yep. was kind of depressing. Yep. <laughs> you know, it's like but yep. the Bruins are always good, but you know they're always going to making the playoffs. And now they funny they missed the playoffs the last couple of years, like the last week. But they they're always going to make the playoffs. They're always very good, but you know they're always a couple teams better. So it was exciting to see him win, especially you know he had a good run though. In in the if you're a Boston you know, Boston, you sort of get the whole sports thing. Boston had a, has had a pretty good run the last 10, 15 years, where all the other teams were winning. The Bruins were kind of the only ones that weren't winning, but you had a lot of other teams winning. So it was kind of cool. But, you know, there's other hockey. Too. I like college hockey as well. So there's like a lot of good college hockey I see out of Boston and out of New England. So I'll watch that actually as much as I'll watch pro hockey. Yeah, I asked because I'm a lifelong Cubs fan and I've never seen them win, obviously. And my dad has been a lifelong Cubs fan and he's never seen them win. And my grandfather has been a lifelong Cubs fan and he's never seen them win, yeah. you know. So, I mean, it, we have to go back to my great-grandfather, who wasn't even a Cubs fan at the time. To He was a Sox fan. Uh, to, he actually got to see them win a championship. Yeah. So, it, it, it's, it's one of these things where it's like, okay, will, will my, my grandfather never saw him win a championship? Will my dad, will he, will he make it long enough for them to see a championship? Yeah. And, you know, yeah. And, sometimes we'll, yeah, and sometimes we'll talk about it, right? We'll talk about... Well, what would it be like if if the Cubs won the world won the World Series, and it, it, it always ends up I'm going to cry my eyes out because I've cheered with this team my entire life, and have never seen them come close to win a World Series, not even get into the World Series, right? So, um, you know, just the you know it, it, emotional outpouring of here's something I've rooted for, wanted to happen all my life never has it never has happened never has gotten really close and it, it in this this could happen right so i mean this is the things that we talk about like yeah hey this is this is next year and and all these things boston the red sox knows all about that yeah, you know, right you know, so yeah i'm a big red sox fan too the, 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 the i know the i know the feeling like, like you're getting where you're getting out before more with the red sox than the the bruins because even though i was i was just a little the, the bruins did win you, know, you still had the recentness of the Bruins winning, you could see like you could see replays, and they, they had like you know you could see the banners. It was recent, at least it was recent back then in the early seventies when they won. You know they had some competitive teams against the Canadians, but the Red Sox were, were just like that. They never win. Um, yeah. you know, they, they they had it, and then I remember in eighty. So the Red Sox were the one where it was real emotional when they won. Yeah, it was real emotional because you remember like when you go with your you go with your your, your parents and all with to yep. go to the Red Sox games, and it's like you know they never see people live their whole lives. My father lived his whole life, never saw the Red Sox win. I mean, it's, it's, um, yep. so, so it was unbelievable. It was, it was emotional to watch the Red Sox win, actually. And nothing to do with baseball, even, in some ways. But the, the, the Red Sox, when they won, that was a really big deal. I didn't think they'd ever win. I didn't think they'd ever win. Uh, it was just amazing. I didn't even think they'd win the year that they won. There's another team that came back. You know, a guy steals a base. and The Cubs might win this year, though. The Cubs have a good team. 
They, they do have a good team. But I mean, just, really just team. And you get Epstein. So. <laughs> yeah, I know. Right. The, he did it in Boston. He could do it here in Chicago. But, um, you know, the one thing about the, the, the Red Sox is that they were on the verge of, of it being done. I mean, there was they were done. it was, you know, game four. Uh, they were going to be swept by the Yankees, the and Yankees. <laughs> um, it was it was over, yep. right? I mean, it was over. Absolutely, they did it again. The Yankees, damn Yankees, did it again, and it was just this one spark, and they got a little rally going, and it was just one of these snowballs that had just turned over and over and over, and all of a sudden we have a chance to beat the team that keeps beating us yeah. in the playoffs that was crazy. and prevents us from you know moving forward. And then they finally did it, and of course the the World Series, I, in my mind, was a foregone conclusion at that point. Yeah, but it was, it was on, who comes back, you know, three zero against the Yankees like that in the playoffs. That was that was unbelievable. That was that was pretty magical. Yeah, uh, ESPN had a great documentary, and I believe it's on Netflix. I think it's yep. called what Four Days in October. Yeah, it's one. Of, uh, there's a couple of them. They, they, yeah, you know the one you saw, and it is on Netflix. At least it was on Netflix. I I, I believe it's still on it. So I mean, if you're interested, check it out. Uh, it's it it's not even. I wouldn't even say it's baseball. I would say it's just it's just drama. It's just good drama. Yeah, I think you're right. And 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 it, I I think it focus it focuses a lot about you know the players and what happened, but I think it's more about you know the the area and Boston in general and how Boston reacted to hey we're going to get swept to hey we might actually beat these guys and move on finally after all of these years. Yeah. Would you consider yourself to be a, a really competitive person when it comes to sports and things like that? Oh, sure. I mean, not 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 so much when I'm watching. You know, it's just it's just for entertainment when I'm watching. I mean, like yeah, I like like the team I'm rooting for to win, but I kind of like just watching watching these people play too. At that level, is is kind of amazing to me that people can do some of the things they can do, um, especially in hockey. These NHL guys are unreal. Not like you know, if I'm playing, you know, I, I I'm I just play in a men's league now, so it's like it's not. It's not quite as in, intense. When I was younger, it was, it was I, I was much more competitive about it. Now it's really a lot more for fun and exercise. Although sometimes it can get, you know, if you get somebody that makes a play and you kind of like bumps you the wrong way or like that does something that maybe I don't think that they should have done, it can you can turn it on a little bit. But yeah, I'm pretty competitive. <laughs> it's, it's it's good. It's just like at this point in my life, it's more of just a fun thing to do. It was always fun, but it's not quite as competitive as it used to be. So from being a little kid growing up playing hockey, how did you eventually get into start developing software? Like how did that how did that passion start for you? With software? Well, yeah. well, I'm, I'm nothing to do with hockey. <laughs> so, uh, but what a story it would be yeah, it if it did. It broke my stick and I got a Commodore sixty four. No, <laughs> so like when I was uh, I had a teacher when I was in um, seventh grade, and they had a Apple II. E, I think it was. I, I can't remember if it was Apple II or Apple IIe. Apple IIe, if you remember those, right? It was the next yep. Apple II. It was the one that had a little better graphics. And oh, I can remember now. You could do like, you, you could do basically sprite based graphics, and they had a little, uh, what, what amounts to a little REPL. You can go GR, yep. you can get a graphics mode, you can write a little script to make graphics. And so they had that at the school. Uh, they were real expensive machines. I, my family couldn't afford one back then. But so, so I ended up getting into programming on, on this Apple IIe. And, um, you know, it had the drive and everything. And, and there was the AppleSoft tutorial. They had. I, I remember reading that. And I learned how to do, do uh, you know, all kinds of different things on it, really. And I would use it. I had a teacher that let me, uh, in, the, in, the, in the school there, he would let me use it after hours. I don't know if he was supposed to or not. He'd let me come in, you know, sort of like an off time during the day. And I'd use it. And I, I got really into it. We started a little computer club at the school. And I, 
That, that's how I started. Uh, I was always pretty good in school. You know, computers weren't prevalent then. That was just the one that they, one machine they had in the, the school, at least the one that they, the kids, the students could use. Right. Um, and then I got from, from that, I, I, I said, uh, I end, we ended up uh, maybe a year after that, two years after that, I did get a Commodore 64, which was a much, which is a great machine. And I had that for, a, you know, I used it. I, I actually did more on that. So the Apple IIe's kind of got me into it. Probably would have bought an, an Apple machine, but it was just, they were just too expensive. So I got a Commodore 64, which was a big upgrade over the VIC-20, which is what I was, what I was eyeing originally. But then they came out with the, you know, the 64K, you know, powerhouse. <laughs> I had the Commodore 64 and it had basic on it. And I would, uh, I, I, I programmed more on that. And I made all kinds of little silly things and some little games and it just all kinds of stuff. That's how I got into it. Then once I got to, uh, to high school, my high school had a whole bunch of computers of, of various types. Eventually ended up getting some Macs and they're at the very end of it. In any event, uh, it's like laser printer. Those, that stuff was coming out. I, I, I got more into programming, and I ended up taking some. They had some classes in high school. I learned Pascal. I learned C. I remember reading Kerrigan and Ritchie. And it just kind of all led to that. It was in school. But it was all because of the guy who had that Apple computer, and he let me use it. And a really good teacher that encouraged me. So that's kind of how I got into it. Uh, it wasn't really popular back then. There weren't a lot of kids interested. There's me and one friend of mine who actually ended up going into the field as well. Did quite well. That's sort of how it was kind of kind of interesting though because it wasn't like my sports friends. I, I, it was weird. It was like I had talk about sports. I had sports friends, which were <laughs> most of my friends, and then I had sort of nerd friends who were my friends that were good at school, and I was pretty good too. And, and not that the, my sports friends were dumb or my nerd friends were really super unathletic, although the one guy I mentioned kind of was. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, 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 they kind of mix. It, it was a little bit of a weird thing, which I never quite got that. It wasn't, thank God, there wasn't any bullying or any of that kind of stuff going on back. But, but um, it was just weird. I, had, I lived in kind of different worlds. It's like this. So I was like kind of good at school, real good at school, actually, but kind of good at sports. Not great. Not as good as I wish I could have been. <laughs> but um, it's like I had this kind of weird world. Fortunately, the computer thing worked out for me. So, <laughs> so I want to know, what was your first job as a, a, a developer like? First job as a developer? Did I get paid money for it? I guess I guess I have to get paid money to get make it a job, right? I, I guess I guess we yeah, can count that, yeah. right? Yeah. Guess what was the first thing I got paid money for? Oh, in college. Unfortunately, I wasn't a. I, I didn't get. I, I didn't figure out I could make money with this stuff till till after I got a little older. But in college, I just had a. I did some small jobs from some a professor in the. I guess I was. I guess that's a. I guess that's my first job. I was. It was just. It was just a job that you had at the school that I had at the school and I was working for this professor and it was part of like a, a work study kind of thing where you can get different kind of jobs in the school. And I, I was lucky enough to hook on with this, this professor that I first, I first had as a student. And then I, uh, I ended up working for him while I was still a student there in the school and doing a, a, a variety of different things and helping him out with some, some code for some of his research that he was doing. Um, I was an engineering student, so it wasn't really a programming job I was saying, although that's all I did. At first, I, was, I also did some work for him as a grader, so I actually got this job as a grader, then I did some more work for him afterwards, helping him with some of his research as an undergraduate. And that was really cool, because I got you know, some exposure to how you could apply some of the things that we were learning in classes. Obviously, it was way more advanced than that, but out of the books or off the paper. Because even, even back then, even at that point, you know, it's not like computers and programming wasn't necessarily quite as mainstream. Now, I, I consider it, you know, it's still early on, but it's, it's much more mainstream now. 
back then it was it was a lot more niche than it is. A lot of the people that were scientific would either go to a physical science type of program or they'd go to mathematics or they'd go into engineering. That's kind of why I went into engineering. I mean, if I had it to do now when I was going to school, I'd probably just study CS. But, you know, so that, that, was, that, was, that's, that was my first job, although it was just like, you know, while I was going and while I was a student, it was very interesting and gave me some good experience writing code in Fortran. In Fortran, if, to, to, to believe it or not, that was painful. Not a good language. I didn't like it. Studying aerospace engineering and Fortran's kind of the language they used. And it's like, then I got to do some other stuff in CAD and we used C++ for that. And that's where I started getting into object-oriented things. It's actually more C at first and then they, like, then, then they use C++ afterwards. I've been taking a look at some of the videos that you've done. So you have a bunch of videos on YouTube and you know some, some, some of the talks that you've done. I noticed you talk a fair amount about building games and graphics and that type of thing. Yeah. Like, is that something that you always found that you had a passion for, for yeah, yeah. that type of thing? That's my favorite thing, graphics. Um, and I, I make all kinds of little games. I don't publish any of them because they're just little one-off things. I'm, I'm actually working on one right now that I, I'm, I'm going to publish. Just as a little a little side project, lots of little games. It's kind of a hobby more than a profession, but it's what I, I really enjoy, and I really like graphics. So I actually, as far as the graphical part of it, that if that has something I've done professionally over the years. I like graphics. It's my favorite part of computing. It gets back to I think the original stuff I did way back when I was a kid, and like some sprite-based graphics things. That's what I always found fun. I always like making little games, little, simple things. I never. You know, these kind of AAA games, I can't get my head, I like playing them, but I, I can't get my head around, you know, these large projects. I don't even think I would like to. And from what I hear about the industry, it doesn't sound like it would be all that fun anyway. But the little small games where you can make something simple and just create it and have some fun little thing to play, just the process of doing that I find interesting. And um, I'm actually, yeah, taking some time now as a side project to see if like, it's maybe something I could turn into like uh, a little more than just a hobby. Although, no, ne never going to really be anything huge, I think. And you never know. I definitely enjoy it. So, no, you mentioned that you have kids. Do you build games with your kids too? Is that yeah, like a yeah. family thing that you guys do together sometimes? I, I show them things. My, my, um, I, I built a game last year with uh, my son. He did all the artwork, and that was just a thing to do with him, and he, it was fun. And then um, we're going to actually revisit that one over this summer. He wants to like pull out some of the art and redo it and like do do something a little different with it. And my my daughter, she's uh, actually learning how to program. She's in, she's pretty smart. She she's interested in robots. So I've been showing her some different things, and she wants to learn how to program a little bit more. So I might, I might show her without trying to push her too much. I, I don't want to push her, but you know, I'm going to show her some stuff. She might use it for a science project next year. Oh, we'll that sounds pretty cool. Yeah, we'll see how that goes. Um, I'll help her with it. But yeah, my kids, my kids, my kids like technology because I always get it all over the house, so they're exposed to it. You know, so I try to give them some of the things that, you know. They're, they're, they're kind of lucky, you know, I try to get, expose them to some, you know, they can get the thing, like I said, I can't get an apple, so they get, you know, they, they're lucky, they can, then I'm in a spot that I can give them, I can get them good computers and stuff, but, you know, try, not to, try, try to make them play sports and do other things too. Of course, I mean, balance is always important, definitely. So, the other day, I got a, a Galaxy, a Galaxy Gear VR, or the Gear VR headset thing. Oh, cool, I've heard that's really cool. Yeah, so I, you know, I got a new phone, and it actually came as a part of the bundle when I got my phone. So I got it and I'm putting it on. And so my son, obviously, he sees me with this thing on my face. Hey, I want to play with that too, right? Like my son's three years old, by the way. Uh -huh. So I, I put it on him. Luckily, there was a, a Jungle Book experience in it. So, you know, you could go and put the mask on and you could see the monkeys and the tigers and the bears and stuff like that. And obviously in a, in a three-dimensional view, right? And I put it on him. And for a second, I kind of just got taken back a little bit. I'm watching him and I'm like... This kid is three years old and he has a virtual reality headset on. 
<laughs> and I'm like and I'm thinking when I was a kid, I was playing in the dirt outside in the yard. You know, <laughs> <laughs> and it it's 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 just so wowing and amazing to me how natural some of these you know some of this technology that we have today is is for them. Like for me, it's just like wow, this is amazing. And for him, this is this is this is what they they're growing up on, right? And kind of like you said too, you know, we want to make sure that there's a balance. So you know, sometimes you're inside, sometimes we're outside playing football or basketball or whatever the case is. But still, like just the the level of interaction and the level of um, technology that they get to play with at such an early age is. Just just like amazing to me and they're, they're just so natural using it yeah i know it's amazing my both you know my, my kids have had tablets and for a while they would touch screens and when something wasn't a touch screen because they had the ipads and iphone and all this other stuff around they're like what's going on my son when he was he would touch the screen he would touch the tv and <laughs> like they, they get used to you know every interface being that way and then then they kind of get tuned to like something's gonna do it and that now he's now they now they're old enough that they they get everything but yeah, and then, and then with this, the virtual reality stuff, that's really interesting. That's just kind of, you're just, just breaking new ground there. That, that stuff literally blows my mind. <laughs> literally, like, I'll get dizzy <laughs> from putting these things on. It's, it's amazing. I mean, it's right. truly amazing. And once I think once the, you know, the, the, the actual headsets and devices, will, they'll get the form factors will get smaller and they'll, you know, they'll be a little more portable than they are. And, yeah, this HoloLens thing will turn into glasses, I think, eventually someday, and it's, it's just it's it's pretty incredible. Um, I, I haven't done anything with um, other than just like you know some stuff with augmented reality that goes on the on the devices themselves. That that's almost like not even that interesting <laughs> compared to what you could do if you like you know you get like these these VR headsets. Pretty amazing. I'm actually I'm I'm gonna pick one or maybe a couple of those kind of things up this year. I haven't bothered yet. They they do get me a little dizzy when I keep. When I put them on, but just you know, more to just like program against and play with a little bit. Which ones have you actually used? I have the uh, cardboard thing though, (laughs) the poor man's one. I get the cheap cardboard thing, which is pretty cool. That that's actually pretty cool too. That's the Google one, right? Yeah, yeah. I had the the I have I had that from when we had it at the Xamarin conference the year before, and uh, it's it's actually really cool. Yeah, you stick the phone in, and it's like it's it's just a cheap thing with a couple lenses, but it actually it's pretty it's pretty interesting. You know, kind of poor man's. version of the thing they, now they're coming out they got a new one and all but so we talked about you building making games and obviously to you you know used to work at xamarin and you build some mobile stuff tell us about you know what are some of the things you do with your family for instance like when you you know when you're away from the gadgets and stuff like that like what are some of the things you guys do together yeah so like I, my, my kids are nine and eleven and they keep me pretty busy so my son plays hockey no surprise well i, I didn't put he actually tried other sports first and it's like he, he didn't like any of them and he ended up kind of really liking hockey i, I take you know that keeps me busy because playing hockey is unlike other sports it's kind of as much a lifestyle as it is uh, uh just playing an activity because it, it, it's quite a commitment you travel around a lot you know you, you have a lot of practices you got to go when you can get ice time there's a lot of effort it's not like other sports either where you just like go everybody can play a sport you know maybe you don't know how to play basketball and it's a hard sport but if you're a, if you're a little athletic you can jump on the court and you can play but hockey, you can't just, you know, you have to learn how to skate and you're basically relearning how to walk. So it's like quite an effort. So it's like I, I spend a lot of time with him um, at the rink. <laughs> if, if you follow me on the things where I did the check-in thing all year, it's like yeah. tons of check-ins at rinks. And, you know, I'm working with him and we play in the driveway and just kind of hang out at home. And I do a lot of things with the kids. And my daughter, she's she's uh, 
she has a lot of activities. She she actually does Irish step dancing. That's quite a commitment too. It's actually pretty interesting. Uh, not that I can help her much with dancing, <laughs> but she's, she's, really, she's really good at it and she likes it. So it's like going to a lot of her her events and that that much and just helping the kids with school. Yeah, you know, doing little weekend trips and taking vacations and things. And that's basically what I do. You know, I mean, we go to their activities. I help them with whatever they're doing at school. I help them if they want to, you know, be interested in something. And that's how I spend a lot of my time. And so, you know, the best way to spend my time. Sure. Are you a work at home, work from home employee or do you kind of, are you in the office most of the time? Oh, yeah. I've worked from home forever. I have an office here. Um, even when I was at Xamarin, Xamarin was a real remote company anyway. So a lot of the people work. There's nothing unique about it there. Actually, a good way to be. I think most companies should do that. They should embrace it more. Um, I think a lot of people miss out on opportunities to get some really good uh, folks in their companies because they're maybe a little myopic about it. Yeah, I work from home, and it's like I'm, everything's real flexible for me. I can kind of, you know, I can kind of go to their activities. I can do what I want to do. So, how do you find that, with in terms of managing, um, like managing the distractions of home? So, I know sometimes I can get a lot of work done at home, but Every now and again, like I turn my t- my head to the side and I see the refrigerator, yeah, and yeah. I start drifting over to the kitchen. Yeah, that's a bad way to be. If you, if you if you do that, you you get you, you it takes. A, I've done it for a long time. What I do is I have a, a separate space that's that's my office, and that works out pretty well. And that's that's like kind of it's kind of like going to work. Now I get it. I take them to school in the morning too. I'll drive them to school. I get up, I get out the door, I drive somewhere, I drive home. So I still get like that kind of going out. You don't want to be like you're never leaving the house or anything. Sure. And then, um, yeah, and then I get you know get all ready, and it's like I go down and I uh, go in my office, and I that's where I work, right? And then I, I obviously I can work around the house if I want. Sometimes if it's like a nice day, I'll go out on the porch. Or, like today was a nice day, so I kind of sat out on the porch and I worked out there a little bit. But yeah, you want to keep things separate, and you want to have you know you got to be you got to be disciplined. I mean, you can't just like, you don't want to get into like oh I'm home, I'll just do some chores while I'm uh, trying to work. Because if you do that, you can do it, you know. So, but you won't be you won't be very effective. Uh, Sometimes it's like you have no choices, like you have to do something. But you know, if, if you do that as a matter of habits, you won't be successful working at home. You're better off going into an office because it's like you won't be able to stay focused. And it's like I've, I've done it a long time. It's not for everyone, though. Some people can't. Uh, they just can't be. It's just too many distractions, and they're better off going into an office, um, even if they were remote. I know people that get in office. Like, like I actually, I would go to a, a co-working space sometimes when I'd want to get out of the house for a while. And that was uh, that was actually pretty good until that became more of a distracting place than being at home. And it's like actually being at home, I found like was more discipline being here. Because then you go to the co-working space and there's tons of obviously other people. Right? Yeah, that and was more distracting than being at home. It's like it's just when the kids were really little, it was hard because it's like even if you have an office, like oh, they're crying. It's like you know you can say, I can say that like oh I'm going to have a space and I'm going to like be rigorous and I'm going to this I'm going to that. But if you got like you know when your kids are two or three or four, or whatever, you know like they, they don't. Yeah. You know, Come on, they, want to, they come banging at the door. I'm like, yeah, that's your space, my foot. <laughs> they're going to come plowing right yep. through, and that's, you're not going to lock up. Yeah, they're going to come in. That's just all there is to it. I've had, like, you know, my son come in, and, like, meetings get interrupted and things. It's like, it happens. You know, that's just the way it is. But, uh, you know, as far as, like, you know, other than that, things you can't control, things, like, you want to kind of be disciplined about it. Some people can't. Some people just don't want to be those. Like, they're better off not working at home, better off working in an office. It just depends on your mindset. I do really well too. Like this, this whole, uh, I don't know if it's Google or whoever, this whole business about having these open office spaces that are all collaborative and everybody talks to everybody. And like, I hate that. I like being in a collaborative open space, but not to do my work. When I'm working, I just like to like, I, I like quiet. You know, I like the door closed. I just put my head down and I don't want to be distracted. So I don't know how people work like that. <laughs> I have, that's why I kind of like 
stopped going to the co-working thing that I went to for a while. I know how they work in open spaces. Everyone brings their own headsets. Headsets, right? Right. They always got these. They they've all got headsets on, and everybody's blasting music. But that's not. I don't, that is, it might as well have an office at that point. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. So we, you know, the the grand idea is everyone's open and everyone could talk to anyone. You you could overhear conversations and you could inject and all this other stuff. And, and the fact of the matter is, everyone's like, "Well, I need to get work done." And they all bring their own headsets and then they also announce. Yeah, I know. I, it's I don't I don't get. It. I mean, if it works for Facebook or Google or whoever, God bless them. <laughs> but it, it doesn't. I, I mean, I, I it wouldn't work for me. I, I couldn't work. It would drive me crazy. I, I've, for, I've been at companies that had that, but I didn't, I'm working here, so it doesn't matter to me. The only time I've worked at places where I've worked in an office, I actually had an office. I don't know how folks work like that. And it's funny. I, you'll see these places that have these big, oh, it's open space collaboration. And then the CEO and the VPs all have offices on the side. <laughs> you know, where's, <laughs> where's their collaboration? What, 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 what executive levels don't have to collaborate? You know, like, come on. Spare <laughs> me. You know, so like, like yeah, yeah. And of course, the people working there won't say anything, but it's like, you know, it's just like, you know, if it was so, if it was, if collaboration's so great, you know, why, why isn't the CEO sitting out in the middle of the thing? You know, I, I don't know. I, I think they think it has an effect, like you just said. And I'm sure in some ways it does, but I don't think in the actual matter of trying to sit and get stuff done, it helps. I think it hurts. And you're right. The way they solve it is with like sticking some headphones on. Well, we're almost like halfway through 2016, right? And, you know, one of the things we've been asking our guests are, what are you really looking forward to for the, the rest of the year? Like, what's something that's really exciting or something that you're, you're really just looking forward to seeing happen this year? Well, on technology, I'm really looking forward to see what happens with Apple and in that, you know, we're, we're less than, what, a couple of weeks from WWDC. I'm really looking forward to see what happens with them. Because so there's sort of a pivotal point where the I, iPhone's kind of getting to the point where it's, it's become sort of a mature product. And they've had these little tweaks and changes to it. And I want to see if they do something dramatic. You know, they came up with this new language that they've been changing a lot. And um, they came out with a new device and talk about a car. They've sort of neglected, in a lot of ways, development on the Mac. I'm expecting, I'll give a prediction for you, I'm expecting them to finally come out with something that's been rumored over time, this sort of unified development platform between the Mac and iOS, and to modernize Mac development and to have a lot of effort put into the Mac and developing for the Mac and upgrading the store and making that a great experience. And they've just let that thing just tumbleweed along. That's what I'm looking forward to, to see if they to see what they come out with and what Apple's going to do because I kind of follow Apple, and that's what I, I tend to like and focus on. Yeah. Um, but I really think it's kind of a pivotal point, because if they don't do something big, I'd, I'd actually see, like, I'd, like to, I'd be interested to see what the results of it are, because Android's actually got some interesting things they've been they're talking about that are going to be coming out in their pipeline over the next few months. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see what Apple does. So that's my biggest thing that I'm looking for. Really? You think a unified platform? Yeah. Um, because it went over so well with Microsoft. Yeah, I don't think it'll go over. I think I, I think if Apple does it, it went... Microsoft's coming from a different beast, though. It's like where you, you, you had, like, the desktop developers and web developers and kind of flowing into, like, can they become mobile developers? Where most of the people developing in the Apple world are developing on the iPhone, right? So the right. iOS developer is kind of your core developer. So that's why they don't, I think, have as many, even though it's Cocoa, and that's where it all came from. The, the frameworks are people say, oh, I, could, I do iOS development. I can just go do Mac development. Oh, well, surprise. Mac development, AppKit is, is quite a bit different. 
Um, even though the language is the same, the tooling is the same, it's quite a bit different. And as an API, there's quite a lot to learn. That's just, it's just dramatically different. It's just dramatically different ideas. I mean, there's a lot the same, right? The language is the same, so the paradigms about how you handle some things are the same. But then other things are just off the charge, just upside down different, even though it's in the same language and tooling. I won't even go into detail with it, but I think it's something they need to do. I think they need to, they need to, well, even if they didn't unify it, I think they need to do something with the Mac. They need to, uh, you know, make the Mac development story, make the Mac business story for third-party developers, I think a lot better. I think it's an opportunity they're missing out on in a lot of ways, even though they're Apple, they're missing out as more successful than anyone else. But, um, you look at the problems they've had even with the Mac App Store, things that aren't even just development, just the, the, the distribution side of things. It's, it's had all kinds of issues, as you go read about. And I think you know, they had the, there was talk last year about the photo app that they did, that there's some sort of a framework that they were using to build it that might be a unified development framework between iOS and the Mac, and nothing came to fruition. Obviously, there are unified frameworks for like non-UI things, just core image, core graphics, whatever, um, core audio. Um, the actual, I'm talking about like the UI framework, you know, the, your, your, your presentation layer for application development is really different. I think unifying that would be a great thing personally and unifying it more on the, on the iOS side because it's like it would be giving the developers, the majority of the developers that are targeting Apple's, the Apple's ecosystem, I think more what they want. And they're always, they're not like they're going to get rid of what they have, you know, but I think that it would be something that they could introduce. I think that would be well received. Um, on the Microsoft side of things, I think they were kind of, I have some thoughts about that too. It's like, but I, I feel like Microsoft pulled people away from what they were kind of doing and tried to like force this Windows RT thing down everybody's throats and take oh. away a lot of APIs. So it's like suddenly it's like I have less at my fingertips API-wise to talk within that to, for, for what I can use to solve problems as, as opposed to more. And I have to rewrite code that I shouldn't have to. I don't think Apple would do that. I think it would become opening up the surface area. It's like suddenly now iPhone developers would be able to do a lot more on the Mac. Not that they can't, but there's more than you'd expect that you would have to do different. And I think it does become a barrier for that reason. For one of the reasons. I mean, there's other business reasons and all. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm actually interested to see if that happens. That's just sort of a prediction. I might be blowing smoke. I might be totally wrong. Um, and if I am, I'm also just, just, just generally, I'm always interested to see what happens with Apple. I'm like kind of a fan. We'd like to thank Mike for being a guest on the show. It was great having the opportunity to chat with him. If you like the show, please tell your friends and leave a comment on the website at awayfromthekeyboard.com. Also, remember to check us out on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash podcast and on Twitter at AFTKpodcast. You can follow me on Twitter at Philip and Richie at Jars. That's J-O-R-R-I-S-S. You can subscribe to the show via the website, on SoundCloud, or on iTunes. And if you really want to know what makes us tick, sign up to our newsletter where you get extra episodes and behind-the-scenes access to Away From The Keyboard. Next on Away From The Keyboard, we'll have JavaScript developer Kyle Simpson. Get a certain number of people to back the Kickstarter, then I'll know that there's a potential audience, so it'll, then it'll be worth you know purchasing. So, JavaScript's a thing? JavaScript is everything. It's everything, it's everywhere. Can't get away from it. It's everywhere you want to be. (laughs) See you guys next week. Peace. We want to thank you for listening to Away From The Keyboard. As a reminder, we will have new episodes each and every week. 
You can interact with us on Twitter at AFTK Podcast or at awayfromthekeyboard.com. Hasta luego. I was in the engineering department and I started doing some. Hello? Um, oh. For this, pre- this professor? Hey, Mike. Hello? Yeah. Hey, Mike, did I, you, did I cut out? you cut out yeah. for maybe like five seconds or so. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Um, oh, you missed, the, you missed the interesting part. No? So I heard. <laughs> <laughs> it was the five seconds of gold that now, now, now I can't get back. <laughs> but, um, the,